Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. I wanted to say, now that we're recording, the scripture that Carlos Rueda opened with could not be more fit for what God is speaking to us today. Come on. We've already had a good time, haven't we? Yeah. Saints, we are just getting started. Today's date is February 6th, 2022. Our sermon is entitled, Is It Not Written? This morning we intend to make every one of you mad. Glad. And sad. Whether you appreciate this message or not, we're telling you up front. That is hardly our concern. Rather, our aim is to move you by all means necessary and move we will. I am a brash individual, which is not much an announcement for most of you. You already knew that. Some of you love me for it. That's right. Others of you, well, you hate it. You hate it because it makes you deeply uncomfortable. Love me or hate me, I am what I am, and I'm going to share what God has been doing in my life. Now, by the Almighty God's good grace, He has given you multiple pastors. And thank God, Peyton Parsons happens to be up here with me today. Attribute anything that you find unconscionable in today's sermon to me. And anything that you find praiseworthy, attribute it to Him. Now, I must warn you, though, if you are unable to hear it from Peyton, then you're likely in need of immediate repentance. Likely dangling over the fires of hell as we speak. Because if you don't like Peyton and Pastor Wade, I'm not sure what hope there is for you. But between the two of us today, my hope is that you'll be able to hear what God is speaking through two flawed human beings. That's right. If you can't tell from our demeanor... This morning, we are not going to present to you neatly packaged revelations that you can take home as little take-home candies. We're actually going to come a little unglued and hold nothing in reserve. Not to beat you down, but to share what the Word of God is authentically doing in our lives. Today's sermon is intended to go straight to the heart of the matter in the same way that the Word has pierced us in recent days. You should expect that we will be brutally honest and upfront with you rather than waiting until the end in some honey than the hatchet sales pitch or feel felt found kind of sales pitch. We want to share the authentic gospel as the word of God has affected us. Now, the end result of today will not be weeping and mourning at the altar, but rather it will be a heartfelt repentance real repentance that causes a turning in the deeds, causes a turning in your heart. True teshuva. None of this fake stuff that's been trying to creep into our body. We want the authentic thing. We want solidified convictions and we want to be determined men and women of God. Saints, is that all right with you? Yeah. We are glad that it is all right with you. We are thankful for the character that you possess. That's right. And you know for certain that we are, we're not intending on taking no for an answer. Now, if you heard Peyton say sales pitch earlier, just to make the point more clear 
Not that it's necessary, but just because I like it. Re-emphasize. We are not going to wait to the last 10 minutes to say things directly to you. Yeah. We are going to get straight to it, and then we're going to build together from there. So with that in mind, we're going to begin at the great white throne this morning. We're starting in Revelation 20, verse 11, and we'll work our way through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Saints, one of the most astounding things that you should immediately notice reading this verse is that something about this great white throne has an effect on the earth and the sky itself. The very elements are fearful of its approach. This moment in time is something that the creation is waiting both in eager expectation of and writhing in birth pains over. It goes on and it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And then books were opened. Somebody say books for me. Books were opened. Books were opened. What about books being opened causes the earth and sky to flee? This is a concept that we're going to ponder for a few moments this morning. Whatever is being opened here, not only does it affect the living and the dead, both great and small, but the creation itself seems to be split asunder at the moment that these books are opened. It goes on and it says another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Saints, the creation itself is fearful of this day. Yeah. Everything that has been done is recorded in these books. No one and nothing can escape its accounting. Not one patch of ground, not the spot that Cain was slain on, will go uncovered when those books are opened. Wow. We're going to take just a second to ponder that for a moment. From the time that you were born to the moment that you took your last breath here, Every bit of it is recorded. Every bit of it will be surveyed. There is no escaping the accounting that is coming to every living thing and the earth that we walk around on. This moment is spoken of in advance. And it's something that God has pre-planned and has in store. Meditate on the gravity of that for a moment. We think about things that we've done inappropriately. You might remember things that you did prior to Christ. How quickly do we move on and forget those events? And yet they're written in books. Why don't we go ahead and pick up in verse 13. Listen to verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. This morning, we want to ask you, where do you think your name's written? LCM, you are a more biblically liter literate church than most. But you, need, you know that your days in Christ will be called into account even as you sit here today. Every deed done in darkness 
is being recorded in a book. And this should be sobering for us. Every deed. Every deed is written. It's not that it's, it's something in an ethereal place, like, oh, it was a past event, like a memory. It is recorded, written down in a book for all of eternity. We want to help you grasp that as we move forward this morning, that everything that you do, everything that you say, every thought, every action, you are accountable for. Is there anybody else in the room that shudders for just a moment to think about the things you did before Christ coming back up? You know, when I really reflect on it, it's a startling thing. We've been told all of our lives that the blood of Christ wipes these things away. And it, it does in the sense that it credits you with righteousness now and gives you the power to become something new. But nothing that was done before Christ will be forgotten not one ounce of it. In fact, every bit of it will have to be atoned for. The living and the dead, earth and sky, are all affected by it. Saints, the way that we find mercy from Christ is from loving obedience to his commands. But you know full well that the deeds done in darkness will still be accounted for. Startling reality is that the Apostle Paul carries this concept into the church for those that are born again, for those that are in Christ. 2 Timothy 4.1 says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Saints, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, In the presence of God and in the viewing of his appearing. The concept being conveyed here is that you're doing these things before the one who will judge the living and the dead. Therefore, I give you this charge. Saints, was Timothy a believer? Yes. What kind of believer was he? Somebody talk to me. Would you rate Timothy as an average believer? No. The Apostle Paul is saying, I charge you in light of the great white throne. He's describing the day that his presence is set on the earth, when his appearing has come, when he is now here and books are opened. Saints, this has everything to do with Timothy, and we're going to leave it on him for just a little while. Timothy and his work, it would be judged by fire. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 3, his work would be tested, reviewed, examined to see what it was or not made of. So speaking to this mighty son in the faith, a man who pastored ministries, a man who knew what it was to be beaten for the gospel. He looks at him and says, in light of his appearing, in light of his coming, I charge you. Why? Was he not proud of Timothy? Come on, talk to me. Was he proud of Timothy? Saints, Paul loved Timothy. Timothy was what God and Paul had made him into. He says he's my true son in the faith. The one who represents my convictions, my teaching, my way of life. But then he says to him, I charge you in light of the judgment and examination that is coming. Church, we want to tell you that we love you. That we are thankful for you. That we want you to consider the coming judgment on your lives. How Paul handled this shows what kind of work 
needed to be done. How he lined out his son in the faith to ensure that he stood the test, that he was not burned up. All of this was based upon the great coming of our God. We often think about these things only in terms of eschatology, but we want to grind it all the way down to your daily life in the same way that it has been for us. By the way, the word charge, it's related to martyr. It means a continual testimony at the cost of your own life. Paul is saying that I'm continually testifying these things to you at the cost of my own perishing because I know you will have to sit before the judgment seat. We want to charge you this morning. I think it's very important that we understand to continually testify the root of that is martyr. That it costs you everything to continually testify. Paul loved Timothy. And he wasn't his cheerleader. He was his pastor. He was his leader. He was his discipler. And even Paul knew to tell Timothy, I charge you to do these things because there is an eternal judgment where everything that you do will be accounted for. And I don't want you to endure the fires of hell for eternity. We want to tell you this morning, we do not want anyone in this body to endure the fires of hell for eternity. But getting behind you and telling you you're a superstar is not how that's going to get done. We need to come to grips with every action, every word, every thought, every deed is being recorded in the book, and we're going to be judged accordingly. This should sober us up. It should make us mature Christians. This isn't the uh, convenience store Christianity that we want you to have, the convenience store faith. This is real. This is the real thing. Consider what you know now and what Paul tells Timothy in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. How have your home meetings been? Have you been directing your brothers and sisters with careful instruction like eternity is at stake? Or is it just what sounds good in the moment? To be flippant with the word of God is something that will be recorded for all eternity and we will be judged upon. Our instruction to each other needs to be careful instruction so that we're ready in season and out of season. You see, Timothy's personal preference or the quality of his day at work has nothing to do with his appointment before the throne of God. His particular set of circumstances in a season had no bearing on a fixed date of examination. He was charged to be ready. Say ready. Ready. Be ready in season and out because God's throne would not take into consideration how we felt that week. How we felt that day. God's appointed time would not care if some of his appointed duties were to separate with family. What he had done would be examined by the one whom earth and sky would flee. His throne has no consideration if you had a bad day or not. His throne has consideration, did you do what was righteous? Did you walk in obedience regardless of the circumstances? The great white throne judgment is a static event that is unmoved in what we know as life. What we know of eternity, it is unmoved. And we have to keep in mind that fixed place of accountability, that white throne judgment 
and not let circumstances dictate how we relate to the throne of God. Amen. Somebody say books. Books. Will, Will. be, be. Open. 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 Saints, when the books are opened, it will reveal all. It will reveal every ounce of ministry, every season, every week, every day, every evening, every night that you slept. It is all coming out and on display. So how carefully then should we examine ourselves? The passage goes on in verse 3 to say, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Saints, I applaud you for walking in this door, whether you're a regular attender or this is your first time. But this is not the group of the itching ears. They will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Saints, I'm not sure if there has ever been a time that more aptly fits this description than our day and our setting. Consider what is being said here. There's a time coming under the Antichrist where there will be domination and a total crushing force. This passage is describing a time before the end when men will not put up with sound doctrine regarding the word of God that they have that they possess, that they know about and has been transmitted, but they will not put up with what is sound. Instead, they will raise up teachers for themselves who will itch their ears by twisting and distorting the scripture. This is not speaking about men who don't have the gospel. This is speaking about a day and a generation of men who have it, but will not put up with what is sound and are twisting it. Saints, this is the day that we are living in. We live in despotic times of distortion, of demonizing of the actual truth, where the demands of scripture are relegated to an archaic form of religion. And where we have grown to is this new supernatural doctrine that alleviates us from the demands of the text itself. It is our culture. We are from Samaria. We are those who once had the gospel and have been deluded by the world. Saints, if we can't recognize that what you were born to, the church you came out of prior to getting here, hasn't indoctrinated you with this kind of thinking, then you will never have a hope of being able to eliminate it. Let's be honest. Half of what we're doing is teaching you what the Word says instead of what Mama told you. Teaching you what the Word says instead of what your previous pastor preached to you. The Word of God is the standard that we can cling to because it is the only thing that will not flee from his presence. But every other thing that you do cling to will leave you standing there by yourself before that great white throne with no one to stand between you and it. Saints, in a day of despotic distortion, we in ourselves cannot allow the twisting of the scripture. With this in mind, twist as we might, the review will be written in the books that are not subject to how we felt or the things that were preached in the days that we lived in. It will be subject to what the book said. They will be the means by which a holy God 
impartially, righteously examines every area of your life. Once again, in the light of that great white throne, consider what Paul is saying to Timothy as we pick up in verse 5. It says, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. What we want to help you do this morning by having a sober reading of the text is to help you walk in obedience to the king of kings because you are accountable, not simply because you are emotional. Hear me on that. Because you are accountable, you walk in obedience to the king of kings, in obedience to the word, not simply because you had an emotional experience. Or you begin repentance because you feel bad and you have this self-pity that is eating your lunch every single day. That is not real faith. Real faith is knowing that you will stand before the great white throne of the living God and be accountable for everything that you have done. Notice Paul's exhortation urges Timothy to keep his head. Come on, men in the room. We need to keep our heads. We need to keep our eyes fixed on his word. He said, keep himself in right, so he could keep himself in right order with God and with man in every situation. From work, to worship, to marriage, to teams, to friends, to evangelism and ministry. Keep his head in all situations. That is because being overwhelmed will not be an excuse before the mighty one. Excuses do not hold up before the eternal great white throne. We believe it because it's just not right Christianese. But I know in this church, there are people who are renegotiating what it means to stand before God and be accountable. Like you would be able to talk him into not judging you justly. He, he's not deterred by that. And anyone who has been walking in perpetual sin that's come in here this morning, you should be shuddering. You should be terrified. Because God will not spare you if you have chosen to harden your heart and you just want to bring excuses before his throne. Paul encouraged Timothy to endure hardship and discharge all, say all, all all the duties of his ministry. Paul's charge to his son and his friend was about his desperate need to consider the things written down by the father. Timothy must be moved to action. He must discharge all of his duties, all the duties of his ministry. The truth is, Timothy took this word to heart, not for a week or two weeks or a month, but instead, he took it to heart for a lifetime. He labored for years to build a body that would stand the test. But you cannot build a team, you cannot build a ministry on base theology, base beliefs, you have, you have to teach each other and remind each other that there is a judgment coming and God is just and he is kind and loving and a father and will help us. But when you stand before him on that day, excuses don't hold up. We need to learn to endure, to keep our head, to discharge all the duties of our ministry. We're 23 minutes into a message that I'm not particularly concerned about when it ends. I'm more concerned that you grasp it. These next few years are about the body building the body, right? 
ministry flowing out of your home, what could be a more important time ever than to evaluate what the apostle said to men who were learning to minister? Saints, if your deeds are written, what would an honest assessment of the content of your pages reveal? Would the section of the library that you would be placed in with an unbiased opinion of your life, where would it be? What category, what genre would you end up in? If someone was reading it and didn't have it pre-labeled, but just looking at the pages of your life, saints, certainly for some of you, the placement would be right next to Tim LaHaye and a classic fictional novel that claims to contain spiritual realities, but at best is just confusing to men who read it and to angels who watch Christians behaving in this manner. Now, some of you, clearly, you've fixed and determined the direction you wish your life to go by following the Lord. But the pages are still being written. They're still being written as we speak. Church, we need to come to grips with the reality that not only our past sins, but our current ministry will come under the heaviest review ever before seen at that great white throne. Every deed is done, is recorded in that book, and there is no escaping the examination of the Lamb. Earth and sky will flee from his presence. The blood of Christ does not expunge your record. Instead, it credits you with righteousness that you do not deserve, but gives you the power to go beyond a sinful nature. Thank you, Jesus. Saints, so the question is, what is written about you? Now that his blood has been applied to you, what has been written since then? We asked you to examine your own deeds, to consider your own section of the library, where would you end up? based on the content of your pages in God's book. Think over the last 48 hours, the last week, the last month. What would the majority of your days be characterized internally as well as externally? Many of your thoughts just went from that of your own deeds to that of your spouse as well. Remember that. I can see when we're talking about what has been done over the last week. Some of your eyes immediately glance over to your husband or to your wife. Especially if you believe their deeds to be worse than your own. Saints, keep that in mind as we move forward. If you survey the word, you will quickly find out the emphasis of God's word. It's actually far more terrifying than you previously thought. The more you dive into the word, it is sobering and terrifying. The reality is that our deeds, the things that we've done... The things that you have committed, the sins that you've committed that you are not proud of, that you can identify as, oh, I did that, and that's sin. That's actually just the tip of the iceberg, and that's really not even the scariest part. Listen to Proverbs 24. This is Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you falter in times of trouble... If you falter in times of trouble, you know, for the leader of the free world, the greatest feat of strength is not in regards to foreign policy or human rights. And it's certainly not protecting Ukraine and its interests or even our own here in the U.S. But rather, if he wants vanilla or chocolate ice cream on his waffle cone. But think about it. This is supposed to be satirical. But think about it. The leader of the free world is not able to do 
his job. He's defined by his inaction. He's defined by the things that he is not able to do. And what he's known for are the most base things like vanilla or chocolate on my waffle cone. Am I going to take a nap before I have to get up and read this teleprompter for 20 minutes? But we want to encourage you that in this house, we're actually concerned about a higher authority. Yes. A higher kingdom. Amen. The kingdom that is of the living God, the true one, the just one. And our decisions are made in light of eternity that's at stake, in light of the souls that are on the line. Let's move on to verse 11. Yeah, just picking back up in 10 for context. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Itty bitty. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Saints, just in case you missed it, the text says he will repay everyone according to what they have done. Now ask yourself for just a minute. You can see it on the screen. What action of sin did they commit? What is the proverb speaking about here? What action did they do? Since the astounding and terrifying reality is that biblically speaking, what you were too full of cowardice to act on, that which bitterness caused you to withhold from another or from your spouse, the times you were silent when action was ordained and did nothing are considered deeds by the word. Wow. Your inaction is a deed, biblically speaking. So while you may have thought of all of the things you did prior to Christ, or the words you shouldn't have said in the previous weeks, the reality is that the scariest thing is all of the things we have not done that will be reviewed. Thanks, the ramifications of this concept are far-reaching and disconcerting if you have an ounce of self-awareness about it. Saints, the smallest bit of awareness should be terrifying. Everything that you failed to do, the deeds that will be accounted for are primarily our inaction in Christ. Every deed that will be taken into account is defined by the word as the things you did not do. Every cowardly, fearful, selfish moment that you failed to act. Every time bitterness and cold indifference or a passive contempt for someone caused you to ignore or withhold right action. Come on, spouses, are you hearing me? If that doesn't make you squirm in your seat, it's because you are not regenerated and have lost all sensitivity. The men who are the closest to the Lord are fully aware of their great need, their great failure. His book outlines these times of interaction. These things are contained within it. It's not possibly possible to be acquainted with the thoughts of a holy and righteous God and come away with anything other than a passionate desire to be purified. Yeah. When you're aware of this, when you know him, when you know what he has written, it ought to cause us to cry out for transformation. Yeah. Playing church is not enough. It is only those who have never lived for anything but their family, their little world, their way of life, that can remain oblivious to this kind of truth. Are you catching that the deeds that you have abstained from, the things that you feel like make you holy because you stay away from them, are not the matter of heavy consideration, 
but rather the overwhelming number of times that you were too passive. The overwhelming number of times that you were too cowardly or hard-hearted to do what was right or to speak what was right. You have been made aware of the degree to which you are guilty in this way, and the reality is staggering. Pastor Judah is hitting the nail on the head. This should cause you to cry out. But if you're sitting in your chair right now, squirming and trying to find out how you can avoid repentance, how you can avoid open confession, this is your chance to repent. Because you're not guaranteed one more second before you have to stand before the living God. Perhaps we could call back to mind the charge that Paul gave Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, where he said to keep your head in all situations, to endure hardship, to discharge the duties, to be ready in season and out of season. Why? Because he who judges the living and the dead has books and all your deeds will be examined by him. So simply put, You've already agreed. You know that Timothy was an extraordinary human being. He was not less mature than anyone in this room who's been saved for 10, 20, or 30 years. Then the startling reality of why Paul feels the need to warn him should settle on us. It's because faithfulness to discharge our duties is required. And God is elevating his standards to his word in this room. Saints, why don't we just jump into James 4 together for a moment? The brother of Jesus seemed to understand these concepts. I'm picking up in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Saints, for the genuinely saved, it is hard. For the genuinely moved by Christ, it is hard to be saved in that day of judgment. Peter speaks about this. Every one of us have to agonize for what is right. Saints, genuinely, we find it much easier to self-sympathize with our own sinful deeds and thoughts rather than to confront the areas of disobedience that we have been ignoring this whole time. Specifically, James is outlining a people who do know the Lord, who do love the Lord, but do not recognize that their life disappears like mist, that are considering their days, considering their business, considering what needs to be done, but they do not quite have the urgency of, I don't know if I will live tomorrow. And then he caps it with verse 17, not about what they are doing, but what they are not doing. The good that they know they ought to do. Our king is calling for this kind of attitude. This world desperately needs more men and women who will discharge the duties of the word and not simply dictate the details of their life. What should be heavy in this room is not what you did, but what you have failed to do. In light of that, we wanted to quote a couple passages to you. Listen to Leviticus 19, 17. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. You see how inaction actually 
brings guilt on yourself when you don't choose to stand for what's right. In light of that, listen to Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, you were created for actions that were ordained by Jesus himself. It was never ordained for inaction. In fact, your inaction is what causes you to fall under his judgment. We were created for work. David is actually a fine example of what it looks like to be an abysmal failure in some actions, yet loved by God in his actions. Because he actually pursued the Lord with all his heart. His life was defined by what he did, not by avoiding conflict. Psalm 139 is a psalm that was written by David, and the opening verse says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Now, David understood what it was like to be aware of his own condition. We all know that from reading the word. David understood his own condition, but he understood it so he could be powerfully used of the Lord. In light of that, let's pick up in Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Saints, not only are your deeds recorded, they are written out in advance of your birth. This is the context that Ephesians 2.10 is pulling from. You were formed or created, and he has already written out work for you to walk in. As this is the man that Acts 13 says he completed his work in his generation prior to dying. He understood that God had destined him with a purpose. That he had written out ordered steps that in a book he had already determined that which David would face. There is no such thing as a permissive purpose in Christ. That is a lie from the pit of hell that people comfort themselves with while walking in disobedience. What confidence should come in you though from Knowing your current task is already written. Listen to me. Think about this for a moment. Keith, you are operating more in ministry than I've ever seen you do before. Those moments that are screaming in your ear, you are not capable of this. If it was written out in advance by Christ, how is it that we can say we're incapable of anything? We can. Right. Guys, consider the words that we did not speak. The things that caused you to shrink back in fear, to be unaware, to be more concerned about yourself than the deeds that were written in advance. But you can turn on that when you know that he wrote it. You can turn on that this next obstacle that comes your way because you know that God has ordained it. There he is a blatant cowardice in your family. Saying things like I'll address it later, whether verbally or in your own mind. Those things were written out in the book, and we will be held accountable to it. The moments you shut up instead of spoke up in a team that God desires you to build. Instead of taking a stand, you began to shrink and see how it fell out before I raised my voice or opinion. Saints, those are the things that are going to be repealed. For some of you, your favorite tool is to duck your head by being busy in business. You hear me, Justin Butler? Your favorite tool is to busy yourself in business rather than the things written in the book. You have to take responsibility for this. 
We are in a day when Christ is doing supernatural things in the families here. Amen. You are not church attendants. You are ministers. Amen. We are charging you as ministers to discharge your duties well. Families like the Robinsons are learning what it is to stand up in the godly wisdom that Christ has given them. They're a special couple. And you can have some empathy for the fact that you spent your whole life leaving things undone. And they're taking their stand, looking at what it does to take the godly inspiration they have and be willing to come into conflict with it. Families like the Lawhuns have been here quite some time. But these are the days that they need to look at what was written in the book. Because you can't just go on and them not be revealed. Christ will empower us to do the things that he wrote for us. He wrote it for you, Lahans. Every man and woman in here can and will be capable for the work because he wrote it especially for you. Amen. Saints, obeying what you like while disobeying what you do not like through the medium of neglect will send you and your hearers to hell. All these times you knew you should have been devoted to the Lord, but it was just easier to do something else. Saints, those are the things that are going to come up. It's not the time that you said a foul word. You will have to account for that, but I promise it's not the heavy end of the matter. That's true. It's probably best that we consider a couple passages, and then we're going to turn on this together. You guys getting ready to make a turn? Yeah. Right now. Listen to Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom instruction. The one who dives into the word to pull out those precious metals and says, I will not let my life be defined by inaction. This is family in here. So I can speak frankly. I'm looking at two young men that I love, Gabe and Timo in the back. When you pull from the depths of revelation in the word, you have what your brothers need. Do not succumb to inaction. God has given you the word to boldly proclaim. I'm looking at my brother, Nolan Hewitt, who I have loved since the day that I came to LCM. The Lord has written your deeds in advance. He has written them. You do not have to fear that you will not succeed. You have to dive into his word and heed the wisdom of instructions and then let your life be defined by the things that you do in Christ. Consider Hebrews 4, 6. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Hosea. Or Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God. I will also ignore your children. Are you seeing how deathly and deadly inaction is? To not know the word, to not put the word into action, to ignore the law of the living God. It brings judgment on you and those who have been entrusted to you. Saints, perfection can never come in private. The scripture declares that a lack of awareness is the way to have your priesthood thrown down. The way to have your children cursed. Tell me, how much of your time has been spent fighting to be unaware of your own condition? Years and years. And it shows up when you resent that somebody helped you get revelation about it. 
Saints, the best thing that could possibly happen to us, what our lives should look like is a constant growing awareness of the deeds we have left undone, but a turn in us that is crying out for transformation. Man, if you can do that seven times a day, you'd be all the better for it. Saints, the things that we're speaking to you about, we've done slowly. We've done it forcefully. And the reality is, it's because it's what's happening inside of us. I have been under deep, heavy conviction, realizing the times that I could have prayed like Daniel, and yet I would just rather watch the TV show. I knew something wasn't quite right in my household, but it was just easier not to do it on the way out to work. What is happening in this body is he is tuning us up. He's showing us what it looks like to get real revelation. But that revelation starts with the awareness of our own condition. Everything else is useless before that. Because the book that is written that has your name on it, it is not unaware. It is aware of everything that you were called to do. We have to learn to look into the mirror that is the word of God. Saints, we're wrestling with this just as much as you. But we can and we will turn on it together. You can and will turn on these things. We will turn together on these wickedly sinful inactions that have defined too many years in your life. You were created, fashioned by God to do his will. That means that every fight, every trial, every weakness that you face, God has ordained it and the outcome is determined in advance. You are capable of it because he destined you for it. He made you for it. His power working through your weakness absolutely will overcome everything that is written in the book. The outcome of these fiery trials, these fights of faith, are already fixed, and that needs to get down into your soul. I'm telling you now that you will need this down the road. The outcome is already fixed. That means, Rick, you can look and say, oh, baby, it doesn't look right in this moment. I'm telling you it's already written in the book, and I'm not moving until we get there. It means a man like Ray Pena, who's got bold faith, can hold on to that bold faith for three days. He won't waver. He will become like an oak tree. Why? Because Ray's days already written out. God has already determined them. You will be the victor when you stand with what is written in his book. It does not matter what it looks like. Psalm 39 verse 1. It says this. I said I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. And I will put a muzzle on my mouth. As long as the wicked are in my presence. Saints, trying not to sin is a miserable existence. It is a wretched, horrible way to live. It would be better to have never known Christ than to have trampled on his blood by trying not to sin and failing to do what he is required. That is an existence that is a living hell. But if you know that God has ordained a task and you can put away those inaction and stand in the supernatural deeds that have been written for you in advance... Man, that's a life worth living. You suffocate your call when you abstain from acts determined from the beginning of time. These acts have been written in advance, and it is time to put to death the suffocating silence of cowardice in this house. Check out verse 2. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. Like we said, inaction produces anguish. A literal hell on earth. It shows up in your marriage. It shows up in your team. It shows up in your family. A superficial neutered entity that is a hell on earth. That is a shell of what is called to be a man of God. This is what inaction does. 
when that rises up, look at your adversaries and say, I am not afraid because it is written in the book and my steps have already been ordained by the living God and I will not be defined by inaction. If we're going to take this long to beat them up, we might as well take this long to make them stand in faith in yeah. joy. Look at me, say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. It's already written. It's already written. You can't break me because God has ordered my steps. Saints, your deeds are already written in advance. You cannot fail if you will just stand and act when he says act. Amen. Quit worrying that you're going to burn out. Quit worrying that you're going to fail and mess it up. None of that matters. What matters is that you do what he says to do. Saints, some of you single people are so worried that you will get married. Saints, you need to recognize he's already written your path. If you just walk in it, he'll bring you where he's called you. You're so worried that you're unable to minister. You will not be able to answer their questions. God wrote their book and yours. He put you in contact. He caused JJ and I to interact because he would move in it. You are not in a situation ever, not at any point in time, that his power won't move so powerfully through you that that is what was written in the book. Amen. Let's move on to verse 3. My heart grew hot within me. Oh, come on. As I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Yeah. That word for meditate doesn't mean to passively think about, but it means to roar, to fan into flame. Come on, families of LCM. When you fan into flame the word of God in your life, when you growl over it like a lion who is seeking his prey, then you will begin to walk in the tasks that are written in the book in a supernatural way. We want to stir up the word of God that is in us until it is lit like a furnace inside of you. Yes. And what has been reg regarded, written about you, is actually performed in your actions. Saints, the cure to ensure that you outline everything that was written in his book, that you accomplish it, is the book he gave you. It's funny how that works. He has a book for you that is written and he holds in the heavens and he also gave you a book. Peyton just said it means to growl, to roar like a lion. Yeah. That's strange for a Westerner to think about. But if you've ever watched a safari channel, when a lion catches something that was for its consumption, for that of its tribe, of its sons and daughters, man, they don't give it up easily. Not only do they catch it, but they grab onto it and dig their claws yeah. into it. They begin to roar. They begin to growl over the prey that God has given. And the psalmist is describing your pursuit of the word of God this way. When you cling to it, when you roar over it, while you're praying and meditating on it, looking through it, clinging to it, it causes a fire to rise. Yeah. It causes something in you that is contagious. A fire lights ablaze everything that it touches. You will not yeah. be able to walk in the grocery store and not affect the world around you. Man, if you roar over his book, your day with the other book will go well. Verse 4, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. It's almost as if James had read this before. Saints, the best things that have ever happened to the Stevens family have come from shocking realities. Shocking times when we began to realize our life was fleeting. In fact, it's what caused us to go around the world several years. It goes on and continues in verse 5. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life 
is but a breath, but his deeds are written in advance. So many times we say, oh, I have so little time, so little time. We have time-sensitive deeds. These are on a time frame. It has to be accomplished at their appointed time. Think about the lion. Have you ever tried to take prey from a lion? Think about your own life, husbands. Have you been given a word, a call, and then Satan tries to come in and take it, and you just give it up? What we want to cultivate in this house is the meditation of the things that God has revealed to you that are written in advance. And like a lion, you roar over it. And when something rises up to take that action that you are called to do, man, you come unglued to protect it. You know, David's psalm is amazing. It's what's been working in us as we studied this week. But there's also a psalm that was written by Moses, and it's Psalm 90, 10 through 12. The length of our days is 70 years or 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Now, this is not a strange rapture passage. This is actually a sobering reality that our days quickly pass, and we must make the most of every opportunity as God has ordained them. Let's pick up in verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? Hmm. Who knows the power of the anger of the Almighty God? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days. Our days are right that we may gain, listen to this, a heart of wisdom. Church, this is what we need. We need to learn to ask the Lord to number our days. Can anyone just join me for a moment to ask the Father to teach us to number our days? Mighty God, teach us to number our days, Holy One. Lord, that we might have your deeds that are written in advance for us known that we might know the all-surpassing power that we have to step out into the world, to have our lives defined by action. Lord, we are calling out because we want to know and we want to do this right, Holy One, that your name might be upheld among the nations, that our lives might be a testimony of your supernatural power and your sovereignty over all. Lord, we commit our lives into your hands. Lord, strengthen us for the deeds that we must do that are written in advance. Saints, we're a couple of unorthodox human beings, just to be honest, and I'm sure you can see that. We're not praying like we're praying over a meal. We're genuinely praying for you during your week, asking that God would cause this to sink into the families that are here. I have been here since the beginning, and it's a delightful thing to get to listen to some of the old recordings And what you may not experience, having come in in the last five years, is that I notice 75% of the faces I recognize in the room as a child are not here. But the remaining 25% that recognize this, that God had ordained their steps, that no longer feared correction but were crying out for revelation about their own condition, they're out there setting the world on fire right now. So from my perspective, I don't have anything to risk because I love each one of you. And if you get this revelation, 
then I know you'll do great things. If you don't, I know you won't be here in five years. So I'm good with it either way, but I want you to get it. So as we're continuing, our point has essentially been made, but I want to take a few minutes to show you how to do this. Yeah. Peyton does too. Would you like to know how to do it? Yeah. Or do you want us to make you feel bad and then just leave? Our God will give us a heavenly dose of humility that will be coupled with some chutzpah. But they come in pairs. You cannot have chutzpah without humility. If you want real, godly, genuine courage, it has to come from approaching his great white throne with humility. It's been written. We're talking about some intestinal fortitude that allows you to operate in the reality of the kingdom instead of this earthly world. So with that in mind, church, altogether, our days are numbered. Both for you individually and as a body. They are written in the book. Our steps have been directed in advance. And we are now beginning to awaken to the reality that our deeds are both what we have done and what we have failed to do. But in that, God will give us supernatural power because he has already predetermined the fight. As we're continuing, we want you to turn on the words that have attacked you in the past. The idea that you cannot do this. The idea that what is being asked is beyond your capacity. And say to those things, is it not written? Man, I I don't feel capable to do this. Even an ounce. I'm not the man for the job. Yeah, silence that devilish lie and say, is it not written? It's almost as if our Savior had something, uh, some awareness of what the scripture speaks about. Is it not written? Needs to be how you face your challenges, wives. Again and again, you're going to feel like you're incapable to be the mother or the spouse that you're called to be, much less ministering to the rest of the world. But it was written, and you need to answer that devil in the same fashion. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. It goes on to say that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And the purpose that he laid out for you is fearful and wonderful. We both need to have the ability to be aware, asking God to show us our own condition and understand that your condition is what he's making you into. That he purposed you from the beginning and wrote out your life. And if you will cling to it, you will no longer be the old man. As verse 16, you read earlier, and it says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It goes on in verse 17 and says, how precious to me. Are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? Saints, I'm not being ugly to you. I'm trying to encourage you. The sum of his thoughts are vast. How little of his thoughts are actually swimming in your mind during the day? See, we act like his thoughts are an occasional occurrence. Like it's the things that came upon us suddenly when we did something wrong. But this almost describes... The understanding, I was knit together in my mother's womb by you before I understood a purpose. Leslie, before you knew your purpose and certainly what to do with it, he did knit you together. And he had a purpose for you all along that we are just learning to discover now. And he says, how precious are your thoughts? See, this is connected to the roaring concept. When you treasure the thoughts of God, when you consider them precious, when it is what you are clinging to, He shares them with you. Listen to John 9, 
3 through 5. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him because they were written in advance. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Church, we are turning on the inaction in our life. And it is still day, which means there's still things that we get to do in the name of Jesus. So I say rise up, church, and take hold of that which Christ took hold of you. Saints, what is the context of John 9? Does anybody know? I know some of the pastors do. Blind man. Not just a blind man, but the man born blind. It's almost as if he knit him together in his mother's womb and that everything that had occurred or happened to him was written in the book. Yeah. So you need to wrestle with that for just a moment. We're not just talking about a great contest of faith. We're talking about the physical infirmities, the spiritual weaknesses that we do our very best to run from. If you can learn to embrace everything your good father brings into your life as to the glory of God. It is to his glory that I have this. Whether it's a physical thorn, it's adversity at work, it is whatever you feel like crying out over. But remember that he knit you together. You are the man born blind. It just looks different. It just looks different from one man to the other, but it's the same God who's calling out for glory. We only have so long to work. We can spend our days trying to avoid difficulty, bouncing between doctors, bouncing between jobs, bouncing between whatever you think will make you happy, or we can just get to work. That's right. As we mentioned earlier, Acts 13, it speaks about the time frame that Saul was removed and that David, the son of Jesse, was a man after God's own heart because he wouldn't do anything wrong. Because he will do everything I want him to do. Saints, Christ will work with you being born blind. Christ will work with your infirmity. Christ will work with you being soft-spoken who made man's mouth. Saints, Acts 13 goes on to say he served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he fell asleep. Saints, that's what the Kaddish is about. It's about urging us to fight for the resurrection, to serve our purpose and then join our brothers. And I've been stirred by Acts 16. It's old treasure and I'm finding new things in it constantly. They had a dream about a Macedonian man, and so they go. They're obedient to the dream and go to the place where they saw this man crying out for salvation. That was, that was astounding to me. I'm like, yes, I remember times that, you know, the Lord's done that. We've had great mission trips. We yeah. went somewhere. People got saved. Woo! And then I began to realize, it settled in on me, that these Roman citizens didn't have to take a beating, but they knew the only way for them to accomplish God's will was to submit to the beating. So it was entirely possible for them to make this long journey, to be a part of a fired up church, to be engaged in the spirit and obeying it, but refuse the beating that was necessary to produce salvation in others and be an utter failure of an endeavor. See, we can't stop nine tenths short. We have to go the whole way. We can't be both spirit led to go somewhere, spirit led to be in a church, but then shirk the beating that actually produces salvation. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, puts it this way. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, 
we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This word is born out of love from us to you. The things that we are actually struggling with. And you are ordained to do the same thing. To get into the fight because God made you for the struggle that you're in. He made you for the ailment that you have to endure. You are the one appointed from the beginning of time to overcome that obstacle so that his name is glorified and his power is revealed through your life and through your actions. Listen to verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. Come on. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Why would they not need anything from them? Because they were already doing the thing that the Father told them to do because it is written in the book. And they don't need a supplement to the will of God to make them satisfied. Whatever sufferings, whatever difficulties, that is their portion, their cup, and their joy to endure. Listen to verse 10. You are witnesses. What do you think that word is? You are witness, witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Church, you are witnesses. You are the ones that continually testify of the glories of God, both in word and deed, and by the things that he has ordained advance for you to do. Whether you die, whether you live, whether you're burned at the stake, or you die of old age, will you accomplish the things that were written in advance for your life to accomplish so that his glory is revealed? I want to read to you Hebrews 12. One through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles, just put it behind you. And let us run with perseverance. The race, what? Marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because it was written in advance. He scorned its shame, but he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, a passage like this will cause you to view the Garden of Gethsemane differently. Yeah. His great endurance, his perseverance was born out of checking with his father to see if it was written in the book. If it wasn't written in the book, he was happy to do something different. But if it was written in the book, he was staying until it was done. Yeah. Father, if it be your will. Saints, when the answer is yes, then we stay. And you cannot lose. But it may require that we begin to realize, begin to think about, he is requiring Gethsemane from you. See, if we don't ask him, if you expect that Gethsemane will not come on you, that it cannot be you, that it could not be hard to separate from your family, I can't do something like that. And so you're not asking, how will you ever know what is written in the book? Do you hear that it's a race that is marked out? I, I would wager that 90% of you thought that was just an analogy. 
I don't believe that the writer of Hebrews uh, was being so flippant with his words. The Psalms tell us that all of our days are written in advance. The writer of Hebrews here is talking to you about finishing your race that is already marked out. Guys, so the fears about when this is going to happen, when we're going to end up in Israel, end up in Turkey, yeah, it's marked out. If you can recognize that God has marked out your pace, marked out your life, and be asking him constantly about these Gethsemane moments, if you want to live a fruitful life in Christ Jesus, then you will have to take beatings to see people saved. And we've spent our whole Christian life, I'm not talking about your past, avoiding as much difficulty as possible, doing what you can to keep your head down and not have a conflict, have an interaction that gives you a revelation about your own condition. See, we, we are like animals in that we must be made to do something with bit and bridle, but we're called to be sons. Sons that are led in the same example of Christ in Gethsemane. Nobody made Jesus walk there. Nobody made Paul go to Macedonia. He knew that his steps were written, and it was his delight to discover them. So my prayer as we're coming close to a close is that God would restore a delight in you. That like the days when you first got born again and you just wanted to do something for Jesus and your life wasn't so frowny and miserable all of the time. When you just desired to know that because I'm his, I get to do what he asked me to do. Because he can restore the joy of our salvation. More than restore it to its prior point, he can restore it to a new and fortified condition. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Saints, we've already worked through and challenged you to consider an honest reflection of whether or not you've run like you're actually going to get the prize because it's possible for you to walk and not get there. But everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Saints, these are the days that we're in. You may have been fine eating donuts and laying on your couch, spiritually speaking, up to this point. But your God's tuning you up. He's waking you up. He's saying, wake up. I've made you to win this race. I marked it out for you in advance. I'm not going to let you lose, but you have to run like you want to win. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But LCM, you do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul, speaking about himself, says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Saints, you should, everyone in this room, be recognizing areas that you were not operating according to what was written in the book. In fact, you were avoiding the fight, avoiding the strict training. But a response of genuine, real repentance is to stand and turn on it. That's why we began where we did. You weeping and crying at the altar will not cause your inaction to become action. The only thing that will do something about it is a determination and a cry before God, transform me, make me the runner that I need to be. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I'm asking you this morning, what is the next blow that you need to give your own body to be able to walk rightly?
it won't happen here. You might make a commitment about it here, but you need to strike a blow to your own flesh so that you can win this race. So if God brought you here and he gave us a word, and I believe that he did, then what is the blow that you need to start with? You're going to have a life full of them. But what is the next thing? What is the stand you need to take with your family? What is the stand you need to take in your workplace? What is it in your own personal diligence to pour through the word that has been so inactive that needs to change immediately? See, before we pray and we go into worship, I want you to ask God to show you a singular initial step that gets you running. As we talk about finishing the race all day long, but we do not take our first step, we get nowhere. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. See, the reason that Paul spoke to Timothy the way that he did is because he treated himself the same way. It was his job to make sure that he was not disqualified, nor his sons. It's when we talk about generational ministry. We can say thousand generations all day long. But Psalm 127 speaks of them being arrows. That means that there has to be a warrior to aim them. Don't tell me that you're going to aim them correctly when you have no idea what is written in the book for you. That's a joke. It's arrows. They're going to stick into the ground and accomplish nothing. But if we can learn to aim our lives correctly, to embrace the tension that comes from a bow, the taut nature of being a servant of the living God, more tension is all the better because it is producing something. Then not only us, but our children will also not be disqualified. We will reach the prize. So we're going to pray now. And as we pray, ask the Almighty God how you can begin to put this in practice. And a matter put away in private can quickly come back out again. I'm asking that you will take the families that you know God has already partnered with, that you're hesitant, that you're scared to speak to about genuine introspective things because you don't want it revealed, and start there. Hey, while we're having lunch, instead of just talking about the politics or the cold weather, God spoke to me after the service about this thing because it's written in my book and I have been ignoring it all of this time. And I'm not just going to tell my spouse about it. I'm going to tell the body that is supposed to be ministering to me and me to them. And we, together as one house, will build one another up. Not some great man on a stage, not just a moment of prophecy, but a body that is building each other in the right action that we now know. See, I told you at the beginning that Carlos gave a good opening. It was more than just a good opening performance-wise. The scripture that he read out of Acts was about you knowing God's will, that he desires for you to know it. Saints, he wants to reveal his book to you. Stand with me. Father, we thank you that you have placed us in a family. Lord, a family that can make each other uncomfortable but that is loyal and committed to one another's success. But we're asking that here today, Lord, more than just emotion, more than just a time at an altar, that you might speak to us practical ways, tangible ways that we might immediately obey your kingdom, that we would become all that you have called us to be. 
Lord, we know you've written these things out. We've just been shamefully unaware of it for years. But Lord, we want to know, Lord, that you would move on us today as we cry out to you and you would give us revelation about what you have ordered in the next days, not just the years, but the days ahead of us, mighty King. 